UAB MedCast is an ongoing medical education podcast. The UAB Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please visit uabmedicine.org medcast and complete the episode's post-test. Welcome to UAB MedCast, a continuing education podcast for medical professionals, bringing knowledge to your world. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome to the UAB MedCast. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're providing an update on the latest surgical interventions and techniques for treating epilepsy in the pediatric population. Joining me in this panel is Dr. Kurt Rosell. He's a professor and the director of the UAB Neurosurgery Residency Program. And Dr. Jeffrey Blount, he's the director in the Division of Pediatric Neurosurgery at UAB Medicine. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. And Dr. Blount, I'd like to start with you. Please tell us a little bit about the prevalence of epilepsy in the pediatric population to kind of set the stage for us. What are you seeing in the trends? So epilepsy is a very common neurologic illness. About one child in 20 will have a seizure before their 20th birthday. Now, one seizure does not epilepsy make, but as a general rule, a seizure becomes epilepsy after about the third seizure. So if you take a population as big as Alabama that has just under 5 million people, and about a third of them are children, that's about 1.5 million people. If you take a rough estimate that about 1 in 25 or 1 in 50 will have epilepsy, you can see how we have thousands of children within the state that have this disease. The bigger issue for us as surgeons is the recognition that came along, oh, about 20 or 25 years ago, that only about two-thirds of children respond to medical treatment for their epilepsy. And that one-third that, didn't re- that don't respond previously had no treatment options, but over the past generation, we've been able to uh, recognize that surgery may play an important role in our care. Well, thank you for that. And Dr. Rozell, how have surgical indications evolved over time to encompass a wider variety of epilepsy types, applying epilepsy surgery to more patients? Why are there now more options? for pediatric patients with refractory epilepsy, not previously deemed surgical candidates? So theoretically, any child whose seizures can't be controlled uh, medically, which uh, again is about uh, a third of all who, uh, who have recurrent seizures, is potentially a candidate for epilepsy surgery. And uh, as Dr. Blount mentioned, this is something that's come along really in the last 20, 25 years. Prior to that, uh, epilepsy surgery was generally thought of in in the medical community as uh, almost an an experimental sort of procedure. But uh, as as surgical treatment options for uh, epilepsy have have proven to be effective for uh, the majority of patients uh, who can't be controlled medically, that uh, has established epilepsy surgery as, as an effective and, and uh, accepted treatment option uh, for those selected patients. And while that initial experience and shift was predominantly in the adult population, as, as epilepsy surgery has proven to be safe and effective for more and more patients, uh, it's been offered and, and found to be just as safe and effective in pediatric patients, if, if not more so, because the the potential advantage of Curing someone's epilepsy earlier in life means they reap more benefit for uh, the rest of their life than if they, uh, they achieve a cure uh, only after adulthood. 
Dr. Blount, tell us some of the current indications for surgical intervention. Speak about patient selection. And while you're doing that, you can tell us about some of the various surgical options that exist based on the seizure type, lesion type. Give us some of the characteristics that you're looking for. Okay, so the key considerations for candidacy for epilepsy surgery are that the disease is medically resistant. And the Quan and Brody paper from the New England Journal was was a landmark paper in this because it showed that if you don't control on two medications, your likelihood of attaining seizure control is less than 5%. So delays in referral are not to the patient's best interest. The patients need to be tried on two medications at appropriate dosages and intervals and given an adequate time for the uh, anti-epilepsy meds to work. But if they fail two meds, they should be considered for, for epilepsy surgery. The concepts then center on localization. We attain localization through a stepwise process with our epileptologist. It starts with video EEG, not just a short one, but a prolonged video EEG to attain regional localization. MRI then looks for structural abnormalities, and we do functional imaging. Functional imaging means either PET, ictospect, or MEG. Each of those has their own pluses and minuses that can be developed separately, but conceptually, globally, they implicate a region of brain. The fundamental uh, concept is concordance of information, and we meet in an epilepsy surgery planning conference to discuss the findings of all of those findings. We discuss it, and then we confer with the families. We make recommendations for implantation of uh, electrode strategies, which then guides resection. Those are the fundamental principles. Um, So any kid who has medical resistance is uh, potentially a good candidate. So I think it's also worth looking at this from a little different perspective, and that is our ideal surgical candidate would be a child with medically refractory epilepsy uh, who were able to localize the region of the brain that's the source of their seizures uh, with multiple concordant testing modalities, and critically, that uh, that region of brain should not be uh, in eloquent cortex. And, and so that's a patient that we have a very high likelihood of curing their epilepsy, uh, either with a surgical resection or uh, with a, an ablative treatment option. I completely agree with that and appreciate the refinement on my comment. I would also add that even kids that have a more generalized process still potentially can benefit from um, tools in the surgical toolbox, which is to say kids with medically resistant generalized epilepsy are potential candidates for implantation of a vagus nerve stimulator, which is a very helpful device uh, for kids that have generalized epilepsy. So medically resistant epilepsy is really the the fundamental overarching principle that if kids are suffering, if they are still seizing, that uh, a surgical uh, review is probably worthwhile. Yeah, I I agree. I was only describing sort of our our ideal scenario, but that's not to say that we we don't have uh, effective treatment options that are surgical that we can offer patients that that don't quite meet our our ideal uh, set of criteria. For sure. Dr. Roselle, do you feel that despite the growing appreciation for the developmental and psychosocial effects of pediatric drug-resistant epilepsy, do you feel there are too few surgical referrals? And Dr. Blount mentioned early referral. What do you attribute this to? And please reiterate the importance of early referral. So I I think there's still a a substantial reluctance uh, in the community both on the, the professional side with potential referring physicians and, and, and I'm sure from parents as well, because the idea of brain surgery is, uh, is frightening and, and it's not 
not something that uh, should be taken lightly. Uh, but the potential uh, and real uh, adverse effect of uh, continued seizures that, that uh, aren't controlled are, over time, much more detrimental to the patient than, uh, than the risks of, of surgical intervention. So statistically, uh, there, there's every reason to think that there are a lot more patients out there uh, that we could help with surgery uh, than, than we're currently seeing. Dr. Blount, as we wrap up, speak about patient outcomes for this population. Why is this continuum of care so important for success? Epilepsy surgery that's carefully planned and executed has a very high safety margin and a very good effectiveness. Depending on how crisply the epilepsy localizes, north of 70% of kids that undergo epilepsy surgery can be rendered either seizure-free or with such a low seizure burden that things are readily controlled with medication. That's a marked difference from where many of these kids start. The incidence of complications related to epilepsy surgery is in general quite low. As Dr. Roselle alluded earlier, it still remains surgery and we're very upfront with patients about the small level of real risks that do exist. But it's a low risk profile and it's significantly lower than what we refer to as the natural history of the disease, which is if it's left untreated. So a rough rule of thumb is about two-thirds likelihood of being able to make a very substantive impact with about a 5 to 8% collective risk of any sort of problem whatsoever, and about half that for any sort of long-lasting, unexpected problem. I, I just wanted to add that uh, newer, contemporary, uh, less invasive options, both for the placement of intracranial electrodes uh, and for uh, a bleeding, uh, a seizure focus, uh, that that can help ameliorate uh, some of the, uh, the patient and family anxiety uh, regarding surgical treatment of epilepsy, because we can we can accomplish a lot of the things now with minimally invasive techniques that that used to require uh, a craniotomy, you know, opening and exposing the brain. And Dr. Rosell is a last word. The UAB Epilepsy Center has a focus that's engaging multidisciplinary teams to best treat your patients. Please tell us what this looks like for your team. Tell us a little bit about why this is so important and what you would like referring physicians to know about the center. Well, the center is uh, very much uh, a multidisciplinary effort. And as uh, Dr. Blount alluded to earlier, it all starts with the initial evaluation uh, in the epilepsy monitoring unit under the direction of our epilepsy neurology colleagues. Uh, but, but that's only the beginning. Uh, the, uh, the the team includes uh, a number of advanced practice uh, nurses. Uh, neuropsychology is a very uh, critical component uh, of the entire program because uh, we're, we're not only trying to stop seizures, but we're, we're trying to, to preserve and, and perhaps even create a situation for uh, improvement uh, in the uh, in the patient's psychosocial development, uh, learning, uh, et cetera. We rely uh, very heavily on a number of different imaging modalities. So our uh, radiology colleagues uh, also provide uh, a very important uh, contribution to the overall effort. And it all comes together once a week, which coincidentally that will be uh, later this morning, every Wednesday, we have our multidisciplinary 
epilepsy surgery patient evaluation conference where uh, patients are presented one at a time. We review all of the uh, the, the evidence uh, of where their seizures are coming from, uh, and then uh, there's a group discussion uh, to consider the uh, advantages and, and potential downsides of the various treatment options that we have available so that we can then carry to the family a, a consensus recommendation for what we think is the best approach uh, for their child's uh, individual clinical scenario. I completely agree with that. Can I just add the one point that I would also make is, is that it's important to remain uh, the context that this morning we've been talking about the pediatric effort and in under the broad UAB umbrella. Uh, there's also an adult program that is very vigorous and undertakes exactly the same activities in the adult community. And each program is busy enough that we're very collaborative and very cooperative, but we're, we, we, we do our daily work separate from one another. Uh, but the point to emphasize to referring physicians is that uh, state-of-the-art surgical evaluation and care for epilepsy is available both for adult and pediatric populations uh, under the broad UAB umbrella. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for joining us today and telling us about the UAB Epilepsy Center. It was fascinating information, and a community physician can refer a patient to UAB Medicine by calling the MIST line at 1-800-UAB-MIST. And that concludes this episode of the UAB MedCast. For more information on resources available at UAB Medicine, please visit our website at uabmedicine.org physician. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other UAB Medicine podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole.